Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes. The Green Bay Packers decided to kick a field goal on fourth and goal in the deciding moments of an NFC championship game. How horrible was this decision? Listen, okay. All I had to hear from Colts fans, including my parents, after Frank Reich decided to go for a touchdown on fourth and goal instead of kick a field goal against the Bills. Yeah. This, this is why I hate talking sports with people because no one is able to stay consistent on things. Like you have half the people that love going forward on fourth, which is usually me most of the time because, you know, you got to take risks and risks, you know, they don't always pay off, but a lot of time they do. And then you have the conservative bitches that usually want to kick field goals. And I'm happy that it hurt the Packers, even though I'm not because I hate Tom Brady, but you know, I'll always go for it on fourth. That's, that's my, uh, that's what you should take away. Now, before we get into the basketball, I must ask you, um, what was a more egregious decision on that, on that drive? Aaron Rodgers not running it at all on the third down or the decision to not go for it on fourth down? You know, Aaron Rodgers probably should have ran like he had, he had space, but at the same time, the throw was close enough where it was probably a good idea to just throw it. But like, I mean, again, you go for it on fourth down. That's, that's where I'm always going to land. I mean, let's be real here. There's worse options than throwing it to Devonte Adams. Exactly. And again, it was like, probably six inches from being a touchdown. Like that's a close enough amount of space. It's not like it was completely out of bounds. I mean, it was very close to being a touchdown. So, you know, it is what it is, but I, I now have to root for Mahomes, which I'm not mad about. And I hope he kills Brady, but you know, not, not necessarily literally, although it wouldn't be the worst thing, but you know, We'll Dylan Hughes advocating for murder on the podcast. Um, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying it wouldn't be horrible if it happened. That's not better. <laughs> That's not better. Um, do you want to throw a score prediction for the Super Bowl? Or do you want to wait till next week for a score prediction? Yeah, let's let's let things simmer a little bit. You know, the, the week off, there's always something that happens. That's right. And the Patriots always seem to to have something in their favor where, oh, wow, this great player on the other team's all of a sudden injured. Very interesting. And I'm not saying that Brady carried that down south to Tampa Bay, but I also wouldn't put it past him. So so we'll have to see if all of a sudden Tyree Kill has the flu or Travis Kelsey has a broken toe. You know, we'll, we'll just have to see. We'll see what happens. The You're accusing the – the Patriots of Utah Jazz-like activity in the 1998 Finals. Speaking of the Jazz, <laughs> I wanted to throw that segue in there. Um, just a little reminder for this week: our teams are the Utah Jazz, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Milwaukee Bucks. 
and we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get started on that. We don't have we don't really have any injuries to talk about, right? We probably should have discussed this before the show, but fuck it. Um, none that I can think of. Oh, Karis LeVert did. Um, yes, did get a cancerous cell removed from his kidney, and he's out indefinitely. And truly, like this is not hyperbole, Dylan, because this physical would not have happened if not for the trade. James Harden saved that man's life. <laughs> And it's it's honestly really great for him. I hope he makes a speedy recovery, and I hope that he comes back, you know, when he needs to come back. Yes, it's going to suck because Karis is probably going to be out for a little while. But, hey, you know, you got to look at the long term. And, you know, obviously from a non-basketball perspective, this is like one of the best things that can happen <laughs> to a person where you just – you get a physical that you probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise and find a cancer that – from what I've seen about kidney cancer, I don't know if they've actually diagnosed it as that, but from what I've seen it, kidney cancer grows pretty quick. So it, even if you just waited six months or whatever, you know, that could have, that could have been a lot different and he doesn't have to get treatment either uh, moving forward. So obviously they caught it at a very early stage, but from a basketball standpoint, I mean, this is just, this is like a little seed has been planted in this Pacers team now where Karis LeVert is getting a new start. He's fresh off of uh, removing some cancer. And, I mean, the, like, this is their team now. You know, like, this is this is their core. Like, they've got the team. And uh, I think when they win the finals in 2023, we're going to look back to this moment, and James Harden will still not have had a title probably. And, uh, and Karis LeVert will be sending James Harden some flowers or – or something, maybe some uh, some stripper coupons if those exist. <laughs> yes, I agree with everything you said. We don't know if the Pacers will be fully healthy this year, but I mean, if they do, they have a squad. They have a squad, and they're all young, and they're all exciting. And why don't we just go ahead and announce the teams for next week? Since we always forget at the end of the pod, so our teams for next week are going to be the Detroit Pistons, the Indiana Pacers, Dylan Hughes' Indiana Pacers. And my Houston Rockets. <laughs> Not my Houston Rockets. But I, I felt like, you know, I had to take some ownership of something since I always assign things to Dylan. But yes, those will be our three teams for the next week. So, you know, prep up if you wanna if you wanna join us on this this ex on this uh, expedition. There you go. That's what I was looking for. And then so, Dylan, which team would you like to start with today? You know, I have the jazz stats pulled up. And we obviously have to save the best team for last, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers. So let's go ahead and get started with Utah. So, yes, the Utah Jazz. I have the standings pulled up. They are currently the first seed in the West. And, yes, I know it is only 18 games in. But in the Western Conference especially, it gets late early. So let's go ahead and read the standings off. We're not standings. The Utah Jazz are 14-4. and four. And they are currently on a 10-game winning streak. They have just been absolutely... We picked a great week for the Jazz because they are on fire. They've had a great week. So they beat the New Orleans Pelicans on Thursday, 129 to 118. They beat the Golden... (laughs) They clubbed the Golden State Warriors, 127 to 108 on Saturday night. On Tuesday, they beat the Knicks, 108 to 94. And on Wednesday, they beat the Dallas Mavericks, 116 to 104. And trust me, the game was not that close. Dylan, um, the Jazz. What what is what has stood out to you when you're watching the Jazz? Well, see, this Jazz team is not like 
crazily different from the team that we've become to know over the past few years because it's mostly the same players. I mean, we've, you know, Derek Favors is back. Uh, Bogey's healthy. Everyone else on this team is, has been around. I mean, Mike Conley's only in his second year, but th- this, it's just, th- they're so fundamentally sound, which obviously goes back to Quinn Snyder. And, you know, they've been one of the top defensive teams in the league the past few years, so it's not surprising that they're either. And they have some very good defenders as well. So it's not surprising the thing that has really gotten me this year has been their three-point shooting. So I was I'm looking through on cleaning the glass, who we never ever use for this podcast. Yeah, and I don't know what it's, you're talking about. I decided to pull it out of my back pocket just because <laughs> uh, I'm feeling frisky today. But so you can look at the entire team and see their shooting stats. So shooting frequency. <laughs> So Royce O'Neal, 69% of his shots come from three. Oh, my God. <laughs> 40, 42% of Donovan Mitchell's shots come from three. Mike Conley and Bo, uh, Bogey, both 51%. Jordan Clarkson, 54%. Joe Ingles, 50, or 69%. And then George Niang, 75%. So that is a stunning amount of three-point attempts, and, and they are leading the league. Uh, or I think they're third in the league in three-point attempts, and they're leading the league in three-point makes. So, and then on the on the flip side of that, here's the the mid-range numbers, specifically long long mid-range. So, these are the shots like the modern NBA is trying to turn into three-pointers. You know, the the twenty-one, the twenty, basically the Lamarcus Aldridge shot. Everyone else is getting rid of that. So Royce O'Neal, shockingly, 1% of his shots are long mid-range. Uh, Mike Conley, 8%. Bogey, 3%. Clarkson, 1%. Ingles, 2%. And Niang, 2%. And Derek Favors at 8% basically leads the team outside of Mitchell. So so they have, they have basically adopted this old – Rockets, the Rockets of the past, they're they're um, getting rid of the long mid-range, which has equaled a lot of three-point shots. And as I mentioned, they're making a lot of these three-point shots. Royce O'Neal, 45%. Mitchell, 40 Conley, 42 Clarkson, 39 Ingles, 45 So all these guys that are putting up a ton of three-point shots are making a ton. And surprisingly – Bogey is making only 37 and and as a whole Bogey has not been that good like he's he's their least efficient player. And this was the guy they brought on to like be their three-point shooter and like be a guy that really fit in and and finish possessions for them. So and and you know we expect him eventually to come back up. I mean he missed a lot of time last season so maybe he's still shaking some of that off. But I mean this this depth is just incredible. I mean we talked before but having favors as your backup center, that Ridiculous. speaks to a lot. I mean, again, we talked about this in the preview, and we've talked about it going back to last season, that favors could start for a handful of playoff teams. I mean, he, he could have went to Boston. He could have went to the Clippers. He could have went to Washington, who's not necessarily a playoff team, but maybe they would have been you know, closer with him. I mean, there was a bunch of teams he could have went to and been like a huge – 
contributor. And he ended up going back to Utah where he's familiar with. And I mean, he's just fit right back in. And again, just having a guy like that, like you have 48 minutes of awesome rim protection and not every team can say that most teams can't most, most backup centers in the league are not great at rim protecting. And if they are, they're not great on offense. Otherwise they'd be starting. That's basically what it comes down to. So, I mean, their depth is crazy. Like Jordan Clarkson has just been awesome. And, and he's been awesome ever since he got traded to, to Utah. He's been but on fire. <laughs> he, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, going back to the Lakers days and, and the little time he spent with Cleveland, like he was kind of written off. I mean, he had some good moments with the Lakers. Like he got a good contract out of it. But I mean, those, those were bad Lakers teams. No one really put much into what he was doing. But ever since he's gotten to Utah, he has just been incredible. And having him as a backup, I mean, he's probably going to be a sixth man of the year, like at least a candidate, uh, if he doesn't win it. So having someone like that come behind Conley and Mitchell, who have both been good this year, says a lot. And Royce O'Neal is a guy we've talked a lot about, about too. I mean, just a 3-and-D stud, you know. I mean, he's just really, really good at basketball. And and then, you know, the guy that no one seems to want to talk about, Gobert, I mean – just awesome. Like he, he just does the same things every year, better and better. He's just insanely efficient around the rim. Uh, you know, especially off pick and roll and stuff like that. His rim protecting numbers are great. Like he's always one of the best defenders in the league. This is a team that no one ever wants to talk about because it's Utah and they don't have LeBron or KD or one of these big names on their team, but the guys they have, they're all so good and so fundamentally sound and, it's not surprising at all that they're they've been the best team in the league for the past few weeks. I mean, a ten game winning streak is nothing to sneeze at. Now let's let's look at the opponents for the ten game winning streak, shall we? Because yes, this is not particularly entertaining. But the last time we did the Jazz, they had just come off, or the last time we talked about the Jazz on this podcast, they had just been blown out by the Nets, <laughs> one thirty to ninety six. Actually, it's not the last time, but it was the you know one of the more prominent types. We didn't really talk about them the week they played Atlanta. But then they destroyed the they beat the Bucks 131 to 118. Pistons 96 to 86. Beat our Cleveland Cavaliers, beat the Hawks, beat the Nuggets by four. And then the last five wins have all been by double digits or more, including twice to the Pelicans, obviously the Warriors, the Knicks. Like they came back against the Knicks, and then they destroyed the Mavericks last night in a game that was not that close. They've just been insanely efficient. <laughs> like insanely. They just get whatever shot. Like it's incredible watching them with ease, getting whatever shot they want. I want to talk... So, yes, I could talk about Royce O'Neal all day. He's on the um, Mikhail Bridges honorary all-stars for me, okay? I, a lot of forwards on that team. There's not a whole lot of guard depth on the Mikhail Bridges honorary all-stars for me, but it's because I love forwards. Um, Mike Conley this season. Oh, my God. Like, he was horrible <laughs> last year. Like, we... I don't think either of us are afraid to admit it. He was God awful last year. And this year it's just a completely different, like absolutely different player. Where, where was this guy last year? <laughs> where was this guy? And it just makes so much more sense. He's handling the ball a lot more. I'm going to pull up his usage. I have the stats page pulled up, um, but the usage is probably way up this year. Let's see my kindly usage. It's up to 25.6. And that's a perfect number for him, right? Because Mitchell is at 32. 
And so that's like the perfect mixture right there of usage rates. They're complementing each other really well. Conley's playing a lot better off the ball this year and just being really like last night when Mitchell was out, <laughs> he was just orchestrating the offense and just getting whatever they wanted against the Dallas defense. It was a tour de force. Like there were just so, him and Eagles both just threw crazy alley-oops to O'Neal out of nowhere, right? In a half court setting. They're running this offense on a string and Gobert's, you know, the vertical spacing, like, I'm not going to say the, those dreaded two words that everyone brings. Actually, I'm going to say them. That's going to be the only time I say them. Screen assists. Everyone always talks about screen assists with Rudy Gobert, and everyone's like, everyone rolls their eyes anytime they see screen assists. But God, if that man doesn't set the best picks in the league. <laughs> like, everyone's just always so open. And this team, I, I don't have the numbers for this. But to my eye, they take more dribble pull-ups as a whole between Clarkson, Ingles, Bogdanovich, Conley, Mitchell. They are just so wide open on dribble pull-ups. It's insane from three. And they're just so, like, it feels like every time they go to shoot a wide a jumper off the dribble, they're wide open because of the space that Gobert provides. And it's just such an efficient machine. I love watching this, the efficiency of the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. And, like, you mentioned before, um, that the continuity is going to reward reward teams this year because of everything that's kind of been crazy with COVID and all these changes. And, I mean, the, the Jazz are a perfect example of that because they've, again, they pretty much have the same team as last year and they've just hit the ground running. They know what they want to do and they're doing it incredibly well. And I was just looking at their lineups because I looked earlier and, they're one of few teams that has enough possessions with multiple lineups to actually rank in cleaning the glasses database. They have three lineups with, with over um, 150 possessions, but I noticed that in all their incredible lineups, Gobert is, or their lineups with Gobert are very, they're huge plus minus. And I just looked at Gobert's plus minus alone and he's plus 16.7, which is actually only 93rd percentile. So, you know, it's, it's still early in the season. That'll obviously come down. I think I know why it's only 93rd, and I'm guessing it has to do with a certain big man that's playing in Philadelphia, if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah, probably the MVP can- leading candidate at this point. He's – I just saw – or I heard earlier that they're 12-2 they're and two with him and 0-4 oh and without him. Um, so, unfortunately, Dwight is not able to carry the load – that the uh, Embiid is, but, but I mean, 16.7 is, is a, is an awesome number. Like whether he's the first in the league or not, I mean, that's, that's an awesome number. And, and pretty much every, uh, every category with him on the floor is, what is that? Plus 22.5. <laughs> My God. <laughs> how does it, how does it get any better than that? No wonder plus 16 is only in the 93rd percentile. Are you kidding me? Plus 22.5. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty nuts. I mean, and again, it's not surprising. Like he, he's just been great. And I hope he can play enough games where he actually is in the MVP conversation. Cause he's already missed four and that's worrisome. And we know Embiid, like, He's going to miss games. That's just part of it. Um, so hopefully he doesn't have any injury that keeps him out a few weeks because that may put him out. But either way, he has been incredible and so far is helping the narrative that he and Simmons can play well together. So hopefully that keeps up. 
but so, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, go ahead. I'm done. <laughs> so I got a question. So we're going to, I'm going to move on to Mitchell now. Cause go bear. We both love go bear. And I like, I didn't think I'd ever say I love go bear. <laughs> I don't like this archetype of center. I don't, but yeah. he is so like, he just is a monster around the rim. That's not who I want to ask you about though. I'm going to ask you about Donovan Mitchell. Okay. Because we last bubble, right? He went on an absolute tear, especially in the playoffs where he averaged like 30 some points a game. Right. And this year he's obviously not averaging that much, but he's shooting like 40% from three on eight attempts a game. And he is averaging about five assists. So Dylan, is this like the idealized version of Donovan Mitchell where he's shooting 39.5% from three on eight and a half attempts a game and getting five assists a game? Is this what you want from Donovan Mitchell? Yeah, I would say this time last year, the thing there were, those were the two things that I was worried about his shot selection and his passing and his passing has slowly gotten better over the years. But as we saw last playoffs, like he proved that he could be the main offensive guy. And even this year, like I think he's still much better with Conley on the floor compared to someone like Clarkson, just, just having a reliable second ball handler on the floor is, is good for him. Someone like Clarkson that's like out to get his own shot. You know, it's not it's not a great fit, but having someone like Colin LaFleur really benefits him. And again, like ha- the shot selection for me before that bubble explosion was was I was worried because it felt like every night I was looking at the stat sheet and it's like, oh, Mitchell, eight of 24. Oh, Mitchell, 19 of 40. You know, those those are numbers that you just can't continue to put up and if you hope to become a superstar in the league and there's still, there's still nights where he's not good. That, that game against the Knicks, he was not very good, but at least early on, but there are, uh, I mean, he's, he's taken a lot of steps and, and so far it's been holding up, like, especially with the three point shooting, because I mean, I mean, just looking at the numbers, you know, before, I mean, well, first of all, he's shooting way more threes than he used to. He was he was shooting in the low 30s percentile or frequency-wise. Like, you know, last year, 33% of his shots came from three. This year, as I mentioned earlier, it's 40. And he's just way up, and he's made 40%. Um, so he still has – he still has some some – room for growth, like a lot of room for growth, I'd say, because I still think the shot selection can be, can be fixed. Some there's a, there's a lot of mid range pull-ups that aren't going down and he's, he's still so young though. I mean, he's, he's going to start to figure this out. And the point, the improvements he's made to this point, especially with the passing is, is pretty dramatic. Like it's crazy. Cause if he was on another team, he probably would be what Colin Sexton is considered a guy that we're going to talk about later in the podcast. But the way that he's grown, I think, you know, we're going to talk about Sexton later, but I could see Sexton developing into what Mitchell's become because I'd say a lot of the same critiques you could put on Colin Sexton. He's not a good enough passer. The shot selection's iffy. That's exactly what you just said with with Mitchell. And I think that Mitchell is in a perfect system where he's learning, you know, what reads to make. His passing, like, he's not like, He's a great guy if the defense is all scrambled, you know, he's going to get the ball to the corner when, like, there's three guys that are in the paint, 
on the, to the opposite side corner. Like he's good at that pass now. And I think that's all he really needs. He's not going to be, <laughs> he's not going to be even Mike Conley, right? He's not that level of passer, but if he could do like the superstar passes, right? Where you, you find the open guys relatively easily, then he's going to be fine scoring 25 points a game and averaging five assists a game. If you just give him like a Mike Conley, a point guard who again is bouncing back in a significant way. I think that Mitchell, if he can keep this up for the whole season, he, to me, this is like probably, this is exactly what I want from him because he's going to be a high impact scorer. I mean, he's only shooting 43% from the field, but he's taking 19 shots a game. <laughs> like what, what are you going to do? Right. If he's shooting 39% from three, I don't care about that 43 as much. He needs to get to the line more. This jazz team as a whole needs to get to the line more. Uh, so I have basketball reference pulled up. They are 28th in the league in free throw attempts and 29th in free throw makes and 26th in free throw percentage. You can probably guess where that stems from. That's right. I'm talking about Derek Favors. No, I'm kidding. It's Rudy Gobert. Gobert is obviously a horrible free throw shooter. They need to get to the line more because these threes aren't going to fall for him in the same way in the playoffs more than likely. So you need to get to the line more. But I mean, other than that, this team is really good at getting open looks. <laughs> Gobert just put up 29 on the Mavericks last night. And yes, it was a shell of the Mavericks where Finney Smith and Jalen Brunson and Dwight Powell and Josh Richardson were all playing their first games back, but they were just getting whatever they wanted last night. And I don't think the Mavericks could stop them, even if they were all healthy. So I guess I don't know how much more you have to say about the Jazz. Um, do you have anything else to say about the Jazz before I ask you a big picture question? Yeah, well, just with the with the fouling, like I I do agree they need to get to the line more, but when you're getting the great three point looks that they're getting, I understand why they're shooting so many of those. That Mavericks game, they were just slinging around around the perimeter and just getting wide open looks. So. I mean, I can't even count how many wide-open shots Ingles got. Like, it felt like he had more than anyone. But when you're getting that many great looks from three, I mean, and you're a good three-point shooter, you take them. But, again, I do agree, especially when it comes to Mitchell, since he's going to be the guy handling the ball as much as anyone, that he needs to attack the rim more and and get fouled and create more stuff. I mean, just dribble penetration opens everything up. And it could be more three-point looks. So the more the more of that you have, the more good good looks you're going to get, and the more fouls you're going to get. So over the season, that's definitely something to track. But right now, they're just cooking so much from three. I think uh, I think they should stick with that. Yeah, you were you were talking about the three point you know frequency and the three point you know makes earlier. They're second in percentage in the whole league. Like so, okay, they are taking forty one point nine. 41.9 threes per game. And they're making 39.7 of them, according to basketball reference. <laughs> That's insanity. Like, I don't even think the Rockets shot that well when they were shooting like 53s a game last year. If Okay, I will say this. And this is nothing against Donovan Mitchell, but if you swap Harden and you put him on this Jazz team, they win 65 games and they're, they're walking to the finals because they're, they would be literally unstoppable on offense. This team has so many options. And even Mitchell, right? Who Mitchell is probably a, I, this is, it's tough to rank them off the top of your head. Mitchell, I would say is a top 25 player in the NBA. And Gobert is probably up there too. 
So you have those two guys and you're basically set. If this was a normal season, they're getting 50 wins. And I don't know about the playoffs. We'll have to see in the playoffs, but so, okay. So onto the big picture question, do you think this team has what it takes to eat? Like, let's, let's just set the bar low for the jazz. Do you think that they can win a playoff round this year, Dylan? I think so. Yeah. If you, I mean, it's, it's hard to compare years, but they almost they almost won a playoff round last year with severe lack of depth. And there's still injury time for injuries to start piling up. But this is the best depth that this Jazz team has had in a long time. And as long as most of those guys stay healthy, I mean, it's it's I think they have a great chance because they're going to be a top seed. So, you know, they're not going to have to face Denver in the first round again, unless Denver, I mean, Denver's out of the playoffs technically. So maybe they will, but it's, it's a much worse Denver team than last year. You know, they're not going to have to face these top teams in the first round. So I think they have a pretty good chance at the moment. And I, I really wouldn't be stunned if they, if they even made it to the Western Hammers finals, because outside of the Lakers, a lot of these teams have really definable problems. So We'll see. I mean, there, there's a lot. There's still a lot of time left. But at the moment, again, I think it's them and the Lakers at the top, and everyone else has at least one trade to make. I think that the Jazz. So this is just me. I think they can win a playoff series, but I still just feel like they're one piece short. They need another big guy because we love Royce O'Neal. And Royce O'Neal, you know, you brought up, he's shooting 45% from three. He's an absolute fire on offense right now. But there's there's just one problem with Royce O'Neal, Dylan. And as much as I love him, he's 6'4". <laughs> he's 6'4". And that's your guy to guard LeBron. <laughs> that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. They need another bigger guy. The problem is their salary cap is in situated in such a way that I don't know what they would trade and they don't really even have any like young guys that you'd want. Like who? So, okay. Maybe that as a Buike guy is, you know, from Kansas is going to be something in the league. I don't know. I, this Mie Oni guy who wears, I think he's the number 81 guy. I don't know anything about him. Um, I don't think the jazz have any first rounders to trade. I could be wrong, but I feel like they traded a first rounder. No, they don't. Cause I think they traded two in the Conley trade. Um, so if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong, but I'll, I'll Google the Mike Conley trade real quick, but they would be a good destination for a guy like Thaddeus young. I feel like, cause we have forgotten about Thaddeus young, <laughs> you and I both, but I think either a Thad is getting bought out because his last year is like non-guaranteed, I think, or he's going to get traded somewhere. And I just, they need another guy like that. And I don't know. (laughs) I don't think Thad Young would go to the jazz (laughs) if he was bought out. And okay. The Grizzlies only traded one pick. So I think they're good on draft picks um, for the, for the jazz to trade. But yeah, they need another piece if they want to contend because they're, they're close. I think they could. I just, they're just not there yet. 
Yeah, size at the four would definitely be great. And I'm glad you said that, yeah, because I was trying to think of names and that that's a good one. I was thinking like 2018 Paul Millsap, which is not unfortunately not possible in our modern age of science to uh to do that. But Thad Young is a great <laughs> name and and um I, I've been trying to think of buyouts lately and there's not a ton of terrible contracts to be bought out. So that is kind of that makes it tough. But veterans that are on bad teams is always a good option. So Thaddeus Young would qualify in that regard. So that's definitely something to watch. But whether he would go to Utah again is uh, a different question. I mean, if he's traded there, he doesn't have much of a choice. Right. Yeah. The salaries, you either have to trade Ingles or you'd have to trade Clarkson. And you can't do that if you're Utah. No. <laughs> Those two guys are too valuable. Like maybe Ingles. I might be willing to sacrifice Ingles as crazy as it is to say. I would hate it to do it if I was Utah. But if it was going to get me over the top, then you got. And if you get, if you got a ring, you'd have to give one to old. You have to give one to Joe, to Joe Ingles. But man, that would be tough. <laughs> that would be very tough. <laughs> you'd have to really consider it. But let's let's talk about Royce O'Neal a little bit since we haven't really done that yet. He's been on fire this year. He just defends his ass off. Is Royce O'Neal on the Dylan Hughes favorite role players all stars? Oh yeah, I mean, so first of all, he's hoping what he, or he is what I hope Josh Okogie can be. Josh Okogie is a guy I probably talk about more than anyone else on earth. On the which, Timberwolves for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he. I love Josh Okogie, but that's neither here nor there. But I mean, Royce O'Neal. So as far for his size, he's a good shot blocker and he, he doesn't steal a ton of balls, but he's, you know, one of those active hands guys causes problems, all that. But I mean, his, his three point shooting is just crazy. And he is not, he has not always been this good of a three point shooter. I mean, he, he kind of recently became this kind of guy. I mean, he's technically always been a good three point shooter by the numbers, but as far as, like, you don't want to leave this guy open. He's going to fucking cannon in your face. Like, I think he really became that kind of guy last year. And, I mean, it's just added a huge dimension to this Jazz team because they have so many other guys you have to worry about. And, I mean, when you have Donovan Mitchell with the ball and you have Mike Conley standing uh, in the corner and then you got Gobert down low, you just don't – and then if you have bogey out there, it's like, you don't think about Royce O'Neal. Yeah. I mean, you, ha- you have to sacrifice somewhere. And when you have, when you have all those guys who have proven themselves in the league for years and years, you can't just leave them alone. And the thing about NBA defense is man, man on man is not really a thing. There's always someone floating. There's always someone floating to help. And there's always someone open. And that's why, that's why I was just talking about dribble penetration, how big it is, because there's always someone open. If And if the guys with the ball are good passers, they're going to find that open guy. So with Mitchell, again, improving his passing and overall vision and then having Mike Conley too, a guy like Royce O'Neal is going to eat. And so far this season, that's exactly what's happened. And and again, if, if Mitchell can keep this passing up, which I can't see why he won it, then Royce O'Neal is going to continue to eat. Yeah. 
you basically said everything that I wanted to say. He's just a dynamo athlete. Like, I mean, he's really, really good. It's the injection of athleticism besides Mitchell that Utah needed. I, he is just such a fun, he's such a fun basketball player. It's the reason why when I tweeted out our, um, it was, we were going to have a good pod today. It's the reason why I tweeted out a gift of Royce O'Neal because he, he just stands out like on Utah, right? Like, if he was on another team, I don't know if he'd stand out as much, but he just, they've maximized him really well. And he deserves, you know, he got a, you know, a mid-level contract and he deserves it all. Like, frankly, it wouldn't be surprised. I don't know how old he is, but even when he hits free agency again, when he's 31, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he got a, a double digit million dollar contract. So We'll see with Royce O'Neal. He's a fun player, but let's go ahead and move on to I would you wanted to save the Cleveland Cavaliers for last. So let us go ahead and move on to my Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> and the Bucks. They only had three games this week because one of the they were playing the Grizzlies and that got postponed due to COVID. The Grizzlies have missed about six games now due to COVID. I don't know when they're playing again, but so we have they lost the Los Angeles Lakers on Thursday night. Saturday was the postponed game. They beat the Hawks 129 to 115 on Sunday night. They beat the Raptors 115 to 108. They are currently 11 and 6 and second in the Eastern Conference. Dylan Hughes, another possible title contender we're talking about. How do you feel about the new look Bucks this year? And I love this team. This this may be one of my favorite bench groups ever. I mean, what I didn't even find out that Bryn Forbes was on this team until like a month before the season started, or maybe it was a few weeks. I'm like, holy shit, they got Bryn Forbes. <laughs> it's it's not like Bryn Forbes is a superstar or anything, but like that, that's a guy you really like to have on your team. And he hasn't even really played like that incredibly well either. So I'm still waiting for the Bryn Forbes game, but I mean, this, this team, they were a good team last year, but the improvements they've made, and I think they may have had a little bit of motivation with Giannis's free agency approaching. But, Alex, I'm going to shock you with this take. I think Drew Holiday is better than Eric Bledsoe. I really do. It's, it, I, I can't believe it. I, it I, it's it's taken me a lot of time to agree with this. And, and obviously Bledsoe has been so good in New Orleans this year that it's just really hard to, to make that argument. But Drew Holiday, I think, is a better fit for this team. And – I just Last love me. I just love watching Drew Holiday. He's so smooth, but like destructive at the same time. Like he's a guy that can just attack the rim with ease and also just bang his way there. You know, like he he really has it all. And he's been a guy I've, I've loved for a really long time. So I'm happy that he's there and playing well. Uh, Middleton is obviously just as far as like overall offensive efficiency. Where does Middleton rank in the league? Like he's got to be, he's got to be up there. Middleton's a fucking monster. And if he was playing anywhere else, people would be like, "Oh my god, Chris Middleton's one of like the fifteen best." Chris Middleton is one of the fifteen best players in the NBA. I'm not afraid to say it. What he brings on offense and what he brings on defense, name you can't name twenty better guys than him. Like you just can't. He's one of the fifteen best guys in the league. Playing full stop. He is so fucking good on offense. Like he's like this season. Like, he looked really good on offense last season, right? <laughs> he just has everything under control now. He can just get what he wants. He's taking the shots in crunch time for them, basically. Like, he's their – like, I'm not going to say he's their best player, but on offense, he's their best player. 
Yeah, and by the way, he is he's in the 50-40-90 club with flying colors right now. So I mean, he's he's you know, he's just I I love watching Middleton and and uh I'm I'm I hope the Pistons are enjoying Brandon Jennings right now cuz that's who they gave up. But uh but yeah, I mean, this he he is he's so good. He's like the perfect fit for Giannis because you know, as great as Giannis is, obviously we know he doesn't really have an outside shot. And there, there, there are ways, especially in a playoff series, where you can figure out how to really limit Giannis offensively. And as we saw against the uh, against the Heat last year, when when Giannis got hurt, I mean Middleton is very, very capable of leading an offense. I I don't think you want him as your best player. If if he's your best player, you know you're probably a lower end playoff team in the East. But he is very capable of being the guy you go to at the end of games. He's very capable of scoring 40 points in a night if necessary. So, I mean, that that is – having those three guys, Giannis, Drew, and, and Middleton, that's a top three that is, you know, really going to get you far. And I'm, I can't wait to see if Bud messes it up because he probably will. But – you know, those those three guys alone, talent-wise, it's hard to get better than that. The supporting ga- cast, DiVincenzo is really good. You know, DiVincenzo is a better defender than I thought. I did, I'd never really honed in on him before, but I was watching the Bucks nets game, and Jeff Van Gundy was talking about him, and he was saying how he gives you great size at the two, which I didn't really agree with that too much. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to start watching DiVincenzo. He's never a guy I really focused on. And he is very good on defense. Like A lot of these guys, I always say he's good for his size. Like he's good defending his position, which is basically a way of saying he can hold his own, but he's not great. I think DiVincenzo is actually a good defender. And the I wouldn't say he's dynamic offensively, but he's a guy that can create his own shot. He's a good cutter and three-point shooter, so obviously he's a great fit with Giannis and the other two ball handlers on this team. But he is like the perfect fit. And the fact that, you know, they could have got Bogdan Bogdanovich, and we both discussed how we weren't sure if that – he's obviously a better player than DiVincenzo, but would he have really been as good of a fit because he likes to handle the ball more? And so far this season, I mean, DiVincenzo has been – been proving them not to say they had a much of a say in the trade not happening, but <laughs> but goes to David Stern. <laughs> yeah, he's been proving the Bucks right for keeping him, whether they wanted to or not. So he's been he's been really nice there. And Pat Connaughton's another guy that's that's not going to really waste many possessions. Another good off ball player that can shoot. And DJ Augustine is. So good. And he's a guy that can play with Holiday, too. So that's obviously uh, very helpful. And then Bobby Portis, who I, I've i liked since the draft. He hasn't really panned out the way I wanted, but he's been great in his role. I mean, he's been hitting a ton of threes, and he's been even getting a bunch of, like, pull-up mid-range opportunities that, like, his teammates are giving him. It's not like he's going out of his way to force these shots, like, they're giving him these shots. They want him to shoot them. And so far, he's been rewarding them. So I'm pretty excited about that as a Bobby Portis fan. So, I mean, so far, this Bucks team is uh, 
is playing just as well as you'd hope. Yeah, so I don't really have a whole lot to add. Um, Brooke Lopez. Let's let's talk about Brooke Lopez. I'm not going to talk about Brooke Lopez. What I am going to talk about is Brooke Lopez has a pretty big salary. Okay. You have a guy on your bench in DJ Wilson that is not playing. Would you, Dylan Hughes, package Brooke Lopez and DJ Wilson for a power forward slash center guy who can who would fit better with this system and let Giannis play more center? <laughs> Um, I think you know the answer to that. As someone that has been advocating for Giannis at center for years, or at least two years. And by the way, I have the lineups page because I wanted to figure this out. So you you have to go all the way down to the bottom of the lineups page to find Giannis at center. So there are a total of 31 minutes or possessions played with Giannis at center. The first lineup is Holiday, DiVincenzo, Connington, Middleton, and Giannis. 16 possessions plus 37.5. The second is 15 possessions. Augustine Forbes, Steven Chenzo, Connaughton, and Giannis, plus 20. So not a huge sample size, but come on. Come on, bud. Giannis is a fucking center, okay? He's seven foot. He doesn't have much of an outside shot. Like, this is what, this is what he needs to be. And even if it's not full-time, like, let's do 15 minutes, 10, 10, 15 minutes. Let's do that and see what happens. I guarantee they blow teams off the floor. The The amount of depth they have, they can easily do this. There's a ton of guys you can plug in at that two, three, four spot where you can put Giannis in there and it's fine. You're going to be great defensively. You're going to get a ton of three-point shots. And and maybe he's saving it for the playoffs. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't used it in the past, but it just makes too much sense. So I absolutely agree with that. And I don't know who exactly would be fighting for a Brooke Lopez, DJ Wilson package, but if it's out there, I definitely think that's, that's where they should look. I don't know who on this roster makes like 7 million or so, but if they could, I would say maybe, you know, try to get DJ Wilson back on the Kings for, Harry Barnes? I don't know. Something, somebody like that. Like, Harry Barnes is probably too shooting too high for the moon. But they just need firepower at the four. Like, I like Middleton better at the three than I do at the four. Like, he just – he works fine as a three. Like, he's not – like, a lot of the guys – the smaller guys you stick at the four, they do it because they blow guys – they blow by guys better, right? I think Brandon Ingram's a perfect example of this. He can blow by guys a lot easier at the four. That's why four is his better position. I, Chris Middleton doesn't really have a problem doing that at the three. And so that's why I like that lineup so much better for them. Um, I do think if you have Augustine, Holiday, <laughs> Middleton, insert four, <laughs> and, then, and then Giannis at, out there, that's literally an unstoppable lineup, <laughs> just on offense. And on defense, you have Giannis just patrolling the paint. Like Giannis, is it safe to say he, if not the best defender in basketball, he's probably the only guy that's close to Rudy Gobert's level in terms of like maybe Embiid too and Anthony Davis. Like those four right there, that's the Mount Rushmore of NBA interior defenders right there. And Giannis should be considered more in the Rudy Gobert air. Like think about what a lineup advantage that would be too. Like, yeah, you developed Giannis as a perimeter player, but look at what's going on with Bam in Miami. Why isn't that Giannis? 
Giannis should be like what Bam is becoming. And honestly, Bam, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, Dylan. The way Bam is playing and the way Bam's jumper is, it wouldn't surprise me if Bam in a couple of years, we consider Bam to be a better player than Giannis. <laughs> because the way the jumper is going and the way that Bam still plays inside out rather than outside in. And we saw against the Lakers, right? What did the Lakers do when it came time for crunch time? They just threw AD on him, just sat AD in the paint and said, okay, Giannis, beat us from the outside. And that's not going to work. You need to get Giannis. You need to have him as the roller and pick and roll. Like a Middleton Giannis pick and roll is going to destroy every single team that plays in front of them. Like just, there's no way you could stop it. It's literally unstoppable. <laughs> you have Middleton pull-ups. You have Middleton pull-ups from mid-range. You have Middleton dishing to Giannis, right? You have Giannis on the short roll and get, catching the ball at the free throw line <laughs> with so many options. It's Giannis is a great passer, by the way. There's no reason why Giannis should not be rolling more and just taking advantage of his interior ability. And Bud just does not want to play that fucking way. And it pisses me off. You have the best interior player in the league. He's better than Embiid. He's better than AD. He's better than fucking LeBron inside. What are we doing here? You know, it's funny because the past few years, I feel like there's been a lot of coaches that have come out of nowhere. Like Taylor Jenkins with the Grizzlies. Never heard of him before he got hired. I still don't know the coach's name in OKC. It's Dagnalt, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's it. So this dude, never heard of him. I feel like if you just put one of those guys on the Bucks, like an experienced coach that has a little bit of a modern twist. Like imagine if uh, if Bjorkren went there, for example. Like the the offensive evolution I've seen in the Pacers this year compared to last year has been crazy. Like I tweeted about Doug McDermott earlier, for example, had 28 points last night on one three-point make. I mean, Doug McDermott has been – typecast is a three-point shooter's whole career for good reason. And part of that reason is that no one knows how to use him outside of his three-point shot. And now all of a sudden he's getting a ton of looks at the rim. And just imagine if you put an offensive mind like that, that could take, take the status quo and kind of bend it to more of the modern reality of the NBA, where you just have big guys playing big more. And how in this in this evolution of big men in the NBA, how is Giannis not playing center? I mean, everyone's going from the three to the four and the four to the five, except Giannis. Giannis went from the three to the four and just stayed there. And with his three-point shot not developing to a point where, where he has the ability to go outside in with just his sheer strength and length, put him at the five where he doesn't have to do any of that. He can play by the rim more. He can play off ball a little bit more. He can still handle it a ton and still pass a ton out of the post. But you want him by the rim. So why give him at the ball? Why give him the ball outside of the three-point arc and make him go in on his own? Like you can make it so much easier. You have the talent to get him the ball in the post. And for Bud, Bud is just he got a great reputation in Atlanta because he turned Atlanta from a bad team to one of the best and they were moving the ball great and all that. But his time in Milwaukee has just been very disappointing. I mean, he's obviously a huge upgrade over Jason Kidd, but he has just not made the changes you would like. I mean, there's so many times I watch the Bucks, I just don't get it. We were talking last year about 
their defensive coverage against the Heat and how they just left Drogic open the entire series and he kept making it. That is just an example. If you have Drogic have one game like that, how do you not make changes to your coverage? And there's been games this year I've watched them and they've done the same thing. Mm-hmm. They over they overhelp on the wrong guy and you have a great three-point shooter in the corner with an open look. I just don't see how a great coach that everyone thinks is so great or at least thought once can just sit by and watch that and not make any changes. And it goes the same with the honest at center. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't like compared to a guy like that. I don't know anything about basketball, but it's so easy to see it. I don't see how he doesn't see it or his coach doesn't coaching staff doesn't see it and how they don't make a change because to me and you, and I'm sure a lot of other people, it's just obvious that's where they need to go. And watching, so going back to the Giannis Center thing, watching him just stand outside the paint, this man, he's like, people keep saying it, he's modern Shaq. If you had Shaq today, Dylan Hughes, okay, let's just, let's just say you plopped 1992, skinny, runs the fast breaks faster than any of the guards, Shaq. Are you, Dylan Hughes, putting that man at the three-point line and say, develop a three-pointer? Are you doing that? That's just that's exactly how dumb it is, because why should we look at, at Giannis any different than Shaq? He's absolutely dominant by the rim on both ends of the floor. And he's seven foot and has arms that are however long, seven, six, probably at least. I mean, come on. It just it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I will never, ever understand how this has not happened yet. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's no reason Miles Turner should be averaging more blocks than Giannis. Absolutely none. I and we, we both love Miles. This is a very pro Miles podcast. But they should be running the the defensive system that the Pacers are running. You just do whatever on the perimeter. Miles is going to clean it up. Now imagine you replace Miles with fucking Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like it's literally it's not a foolproof system. But goddamn if it wouldn't work. Like shit. It's not that hard sometimes. <laughs> it's it's so simple. It really is. And I, I'm i going to give Bud the benefit of the doubt and just say he's saving it for the playoffs. But if we get to the playoffs and they're a second-round exit and Giannis has not played center, then fire him. Like, I, I don't care. Fire him. This is ridiculous. You cannot have a player like this in a team like this. I mean, this is a fucking awesome team. Talent-wise – you don't get three guys like this together very often. It's not easy to do. And they traded a ton of stuff away to make this happen. And if they have a coach that just refuses to make changes, then you got to get rid of them because that it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, okay. You, you praise Dante, right? I got, I got another package for you. Okay. And Dante would be leaving the bucks in this scenario, but let's just say, they call up our good friends in Cleveland and they say, Hey, you got to lightly use Larry Nance there. We'll give you Dante DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson, and Brooke Lopez. Yes, it'll be three centers, but they could, I would have, to, they're going to get rid of Drummond either through buyout or somehow. They're, they're not keeping Andre Drummond. So you have a 48 minute rotation of Jared Allen and Brooke Lopez. That's not, it's not terrible. And that's like one idea I just came up with off the top of my head. But 
you don't seem too bullish on that trade. Well, see, here's the thing for me. The and this could go back to the Utah discussion too, but the missing piece for every team to me this year is going to be Jeremy Grant. Like you have a guy at the four that can score and defend on a fairly cheap contract, like 20 mil a year for a guy like that is not, I mean, I was like during the Cavs and Pistons broadcast last night, they were talking about how Jeremy Grant leads the league in 20 point games right now. Who the hell would have thought that would ever happen? He's, he's really efficient too. Yeah. Like his, well, so we saw last season, you could see, and slow, really slowly over the past few years, but especially last season, he was all of a sudden the guy that you could give the ball to and he could get his own shot. Like he could attack the rim on his own. He didn't need a screen. He could like do, he could do it on his own. And he's carried that to Detroit and his three point shot has been crazy too. He's, and, doubled, he's doubled his three point attempts and he's making, he's shooting 10% better from three. <laughs> Yeah, and like, and these are tough shots too. And and some, you know, some part of me wants to think, oh, it's going to come down because they're all tough shots. You don't make all your tough shots. But he was making tough shots last season too. Like, there's some guys that are just good at making tough shots. And J.R. Smith said it himself. Sometimes the tougher shots are the easier ones to make because when you're wide open, you start thinking. And there's just some guys like that where you you like a little bit of of that pressure in your face so you can you know, focus on the shot. So Jeremy Grant is a guy I'm always going to think of. And I, you know, I, I don't know if that package does it for Detroit, but I mean, getting DiVincenzo would be really nice for them. So we'd have to, we'd have to see, but that, that's a guy that I would be targeting if I was them or the jazz or any other team that needs a four that can afford it. I was, I was okay. Here's an idea for you. What if your Utah and you say, here's Bogdan, Boyan Bogdanovich and two first-round picks for Jeremy Grant. I don't know about two first-round picks. I mean, the way that Jeremy Grant's been playing this year, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's tough. Like, it's hard to value these guys that all of a sudden are awesome. Not to say that he was bad before this, but to make a jump like that offensively, you kind of you just expect it to go down at some point. And he is playing on Detroit. You know, he's taking a bunch of shots on a bad team. So it's kind of hard to measure that asset-wise. I would think Bogey and, like, I guess for Utah, it's hard to throw in a young piece. But Bogey and a young piece would be more like it or maybe one first-round pick. But I don't know. Two first-rounders is is quite a hefty price. I don't know. Just the way Grant's been playing – I don't think Detroit's going to come off it easy, but we're not talking about Detroit. We're talking about Milwaukee. Um, I think Augustine's really good for them to to just change, to segue awkwardly. I think Augustine, so their backcourt rapidly improved, right? Like just everything about it is so much better from last year because you keep DiVincenzo and Connaughton and Connaughton playing less is ultimately better, frankly. If Connaughton's playing half the game, you have a problem. And I love Pat Connaughton, but if you if you see him in 12-minute bursts, that's great, right? Like, if he's playing 12 minutes in this game rather than 24. So you have Connaughton playing less. You have DiVincenzo improving. And then you obviously, you know, I know it's a little bit of a downgrade, but Drew Holiday from, from Eric Blazer to Drew Holiday, you know, that's that's a little bit of a downgrade, you know. A little, a little less spacing, you know, a little worse defense, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, obviously, yes, that's a huge upgrade. And then, you know, people thought losing George Hill was going to be a big loss, right? And George Hill, I'd heard some comments like, oh, you know, I thought they traded me because of my role in the locker room, you know, stuff that happened in, you know, August. I don't think that's what it was. George Hill just had a nice big salary. <laughs> that was easy to trade. It comes down to that, frankly. But I still think Augustine is an upgrade over George Hill at this point. I think I'd rather have DJ Augustine as, like, the Clippers could use a guy like George Hill. That would be a massive upgrade for them. But for the Bucks, I think Augustine, like, he just is a better ball handler. Yes, he's a lot worse on defense. A lot worse. But you have two elite rim protectors in the game at any given time. Or at least one in the game. You know, you're going to be fine on defense if you have DJ Augustino point guard. I, everyone always says point guards, point guard defense is overrated, and I tend to agree. But I think that Augustine for them is is just such a great fit. Yeah, and and me and you both, I think wanted him to go to Portland because Portland has just a gaping hole behind Dame. I mean, going from Dame to Anthony Simons is just—it's <laughs> it, about as big of a what, drop off as you can have. Wait, okay, what's what's the worst drop off? Dame to Anthony Simons, or Steph Curry to Brad Wanamaker? <laughs> you it's know, close. it's close. I don't hate Brad Wanamaker. I guess I don't hate Simons either. But the type of player that Simons is, I just don't like. I don't like the guy that's like going to do nothing but put shots up. And that's basically what Simons is. And he's still young and maybe he'll change. But, like, at least Wanamaker's a good defender. But, I mean, they're both pretty dramatic. It's We'll get to the Warriors later on in the season. But that's um, that's something to monitor because the team around Steph, this is by far the worst team he's had probably since uh, the Monte days. Um, <laughs> Augustine, just such a big improvement. Um, like you said, the improvement from DiVincenzo is huge. Because they need they need solid production at the two, and you know a three you know three guard lineup of Holiday, Augustine, and Divincenzo won't kill you. Like it won't. You could do a lot. It's a lot of interesting lineup combinations for the Bucks. Um, so I think we've touched just about everything on the Bucks. I don't really want to touch on any of the other role players because I feel like we talk about them a lot. We, we talked about Middleton and Giannis, so that's good. Okay, I'll talk about Drew real quick because I ha- I haven't talked about him. Drew is such a great fit on this team, just like in general, because, yeah, he's not a great shooter, but any shooter is an upgrade over Bledsoe at that position. <laughs> um, they could have signed – they could have just put Bryn Forbes out there and cut Bledsoe, and it would have been an improvement in the shooting and spacing end. <laughs> but he's so good on offense. Like people forget how good of a scorer drew holiday is. Cause they're always like, Oh, defense, defense, defense. No, he's a good scorer. His, I'd say his best position is at the two. And that's why I think Augustine, Augustine holiday and Middleton lineups are probably going to be what they run come crunch time in the playoffs because that'll, you know, like holiday can cover for whatever weaknesses that, that Augustine has, but actually that kind of leads me into my question my big picture question for the for the bucks so they obviously the big bad in the eastern conference is the nets the brooklyn nets they have three of the three of the 20 best players in basketball in Kyrie Harden and Katie um 
do you think so okay answer either way you want do you think either a that the bucks could guard the nets well enough to hold them hold their offense down or b do you think that the the bucks can score with the nets and outscore them in a seven game playoff series okay let me say this if you put Giannis at the five and DeAndre Jordan's guarding him, what do you think happens? I mean, that's that's a question. If it, we're gonna assume that Bud is Bud and doesn't do that, okay. So here's my answer then: If Bud is smart, or he gets fired mid-season, and they put anyone else there, then yes, they could outscore or they could score with the Nets. If not, probably not, because. Okay, here's here's the thing. So DeAndre Jordan kills you if you have constant rim penetration. If you have Brooke Lopez out there who shoots more threes nowadays, I don't think you have the same benefits. I mean, you obviously are still going to have shots at the rim, but if you don't have someone to worry about down low constantly, it just doesn't matter as much. I think I think they would be able to hold up. And, I mean, we've seen this Nets team. They are just as bad on defense as we expected. It's just that they are scoring so many points. So, you know, there's been rumors of of buyouts. Like, they may go after JaVale McGee, who, if you need JaVale McGee to improve your center situation, you are desperate. Hey, he was but, the starting center on a championship team last year, Dylan Hughes. Yeah, next to Anthony Davis. <laughs> Hey, who said playing next to KD isn't like playing next to Anthony Davis? Well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's a little two different skill sets, but especially on the defensive end. But you know, and again, I do think Javale McGee would be a good type of guy for them to get. I'm a little surprised they didn't go after someone like Alex Lynn. Not that Alex Lynn's a great option either, but when he got cut. I thought that may have been a good piece for them, but I don't know. Maybe they decided not to uh, go in that direction, which wouldn't isn't the worst idea either. So I don't know. But I mean, anytime you have a chance to get Norvell Pell, you got to take it. That's that's what I'm saying, man. I mean, <laughs> he hey he learned maybe he learned something from Embiid. You know, maybe he picked something up that's going to really change the course of someone's uh, career or championship path, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of the a lot of the Bucks questions fall back on whether they want to play Giannis at the five, and against the Nets, again, I think, I think the more you can do down low is going to hurt them. So, if you're not gonna if you're gonna put Lopez at the five and he's just going to shoot threes, then I don't think they have a chance of keeping up. So okay, so let's just say you're you're you are divvying matchups. You're the coach of the Bucks, right? And let's just say you even put Giannis at center because you know you feel that strongly in your heart. Who's guarding who for like if you're the Bucks? Who are you sticking on which star for the for the Bucks lineup? Um, see that's tough because I think who Holiday guards ends up being the most interesting question because I think you probably put I you probably put holiday on Kyrie because I think he's the most capable of, of him and Harden of exploding for 50 points. 
Cause he just has those moments. Not that Harden doesn't, but Harden is more the consistent. Like I think him and Katie are similar where they're much more likely to score 30 points, 20 games in a row than to get 50 in a single game. That's just kind of their game. Kyrie on the other hand, much more likely to be that high end score. So I think you probably put holiday on him to shut that down. And then you probably put DiVincenzo on like Harris. And then I guess Middleton would be on, on Harden. And then I guess Giannis at who else is on this damn team? Giannis would go against Katie. Who, who am I missing that would guard DeAndre Jordan? Yeah. Or Jeff green. Honestly, yeah. if the if the Nets play small, I think that's for the Bucks' advantage. I think the Bucks would take so much advantage because, yeah, like the Nets have three, you know, incendiary offensive players. And you make a good point about Kyrie. But let's face it, <laughs> who's going to stop Giannis for the Nets? I guess that's the other question. <laughs> like if he, they if he plays inside exclusively. Like he, like DeAndre Jordan's a great, you know, he could be a good post defender still, yada, yada, yada. Give me Giannis dunking on DeAndre Jordan at least five times a game. Yeah, again, like I, I think the Bucks favor from those matches more than anyone because I guess you probably have some random four that they either pick up or whether it's Bobby Portis, I don't know. But whoever that guy is is going to guard DeAndre. And, and DeAndre is still an offensive threat, like – the biggest negative to him is that he just doesn't play defense. And if he, he may try, he just doesn't do it as well as he used to. So I think that's where you gather the map, the most strength at, because again, if you have to go, if you have to put Deandre Jordan on Giannis, the bucks are winning that every time. Yeah. And that's going to be the, cause this is probably going to be the most interesting Easter conference finals. God. Since Indiana, Chicago in 98, <laughs> like if you really think about it, it might be the most interesting one <laughs> since then, because the East has been a lot of shit for a long time. But I think this is going to be a fat like a, we have to they have to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals first. But you give them a matchup against Miami or Philadelphia or Boston. I'd trust Milwaukee to beat all three of those teams. Like even Miami. Miami not having Crowder this year is huge for them with a matchup against Giannis. I can people are like, oh, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like, it does, it's not that big of a deal. He was a big four, and they needed a big four, and now they don't have a big four. <laughs> like, I don't think that – I think Milwaukee's hardest path to the finals will be the Nets, unless, of course, Bud is playoff Bud, and Bud in the playoffs through his whole career. You know, the only time, now that I'm thinking about it, the only time Bud shown in the playoffs is putting Perro Antich at center when Roy Hibbert was falling off the cliff. <laughs> that was literally the only good adjustment he'd ever made. And that's how he's played ever since. Like, Dylan, can you think of any other grand adjustments that Mike Budenholzer, Mike Budenholzer has made since 2014? No, I mean, if you look back at those Hawks teams... They were built good enough to beat everyone but LeBron. And, like, I, I don't know how he could have adjusted better for LeBron, but he didn't do it either way, if there was a way. So, I mean, I I think he's, he's just good at building teams that can kind of operate on their own. And once, once it comes to making changes, he's just not good at it. 
And I think that's I think that's all we got left to say on the Bucks. Um, that was a really really good discussion on the Bucks. I feel like we we got a lot off our chest there. Let's go ahead and move on to the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cleveland Cavaliers are nine and nine. They are sixth in the Eastern Conference. Dylan Hughes, sixth. I did not have them being <laughs> sixth. Um, the last week they had. I normally say they had an interesting week. The ca- the Cavs really had an interesting week. Like they they played some really high quality competition and also the Pistons. Um. So I'll go ahead and even include last Wednesday's game, which was one of the games of the season so far. They beat the aforementioned Brooklyn Nets 147 to 135. Then on Friday, they beat the Nets again, 125 to 113. On Sunday, they just got absolutely destroyed by the Celtics in another, I guess this is running hook tradition of not watching the Celtics because on Sundays, because it's always a blowout either, either direction. Cause last week they played the Knicks and they got blown out. And then this week they played the Cavs and they blew the Cavs out. <laughs> then on Monday, the Cavaliers bounced back and they played the Lakers close and got LeBron. <laughs> they lost one fifteen to one Oh eight. And then they beat the, they just not destroyed. They beat the Pistons by 15 last night. Um, Dylan. So let's just, <laughs> the Cavs have a lot of interesting angles. We could talk about, you know, Larry Nance is leading the league in steals per game. Um, Colin Sexton is absolutely on fire. Where do, would you like to start with the Cleveland Cavaliers? Um, I think my main takeaway is Colin Sexton related. So that's where I would like to start. So, okay. I was really upset as when he was a rookie that he was getting shit on so much because again, I think we talked about it last week. The, his time at Alabama where they had three players on the floor and you remember the story better than me, but he was carrying three players and they like were still in the game. Like they played a three, three against five for like a good amount of time. And solely because of the Colin Sexton, they were in the game. So it, that was the point where I'm like, damn, like this is not something that guys can just do. This is not something that – because I think there's a lot of guards in college that are so good at scoring that they stand out. But once you get to the NBA, it's like, okay, there's 50 guys just as good of a scorer as you, so what what else can you do? And that's where a lot of guys fall off. So a guy that can carry three on five, I don't think is that type of guy. So that's the – so I kind of fell in love with him at that point. And just his tenacity – I mean, he's not a great defender, but it's not for lack of effort, really. I mean, there's some points where he's lackadaisical, and, you know, that just happens. But he's 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 very passionate about defense when he wants to be. And looking forward with the Cavs eventually, hopefully going to be a playoff team at some point, you know, that's something that's going to help them. But this season, he has really kind of started to prove me right and the other people that liked him. Because, I mean, he he has been very efficient. He's, he's shooting well at the rim. Like, he's shooting well everywhere, really. He's shooting 47% from three. And that is, you know, very – He I mean, he was a good three-point shooter last season, but he wasn't this good. And I think the biggest difference in his game is, you know, we were talking about Mitchell and – the guys that can recognize a defense where it broke down and take advantage of like or Mitchell's doing that now. And Sexton, I have noticed has done that. He's, 
he's gotten really good at reading a defense and figuring out where the breakdowns are and taking advantage of that. So a lot of the time it's him just getting into the paint and getting an easy, an easy jump shot because he recognized where there's space, where there's going to be space. And he kind of just car, he kind of jumps in that little hole and gets a good shot out of it. So there's that, but there's also moments where he's creating shots for others. And this is the first season where he's starting to show himself as like a good passer. I think in the past, past few or a couple seasons, he's kind of looked like a guy that's just going to score for himself and not really create for others. But this year you've seen a difference in how he's operating as a point guard. And there was one specific moment last night against Detroit where he brought the ball down the floor. He recognized some breakdown in the defense that I never even really saw, but he saw it and he called Dylan Windler to come off a screen and get a, get a three at the top of the key. And Windler gets a wide open shot and he drains it. And that was a moment where like, wow, like this, this guy's still pretty young and like, yes, this is his third season in the league, but he is, he's, he's, he read the defense right there and made, made points out of it. And for a point guard to do that, that's like one of the few steps you really need to take for me to believe in you because I mean, if you can read a defense and make a play out of it, that's something that you're never going to lose. And for him to already have the scoring ability he has on top of that, I think coming down the road, you mentioned earlier when you brought up him as like kind of a Donovan Mitchell comp moving forward, it really clicked in my head because of that. Because again, Colin Sexton is probably as good now as Mitchell was a few years ago. And as, as, as Sexton continues to make strides, again, I think he could be that type of player because we've seen it. He, he is capable of putting points up. That's not a question. And he's actually probably even a more efficient scorer than Mitchell is at this point. So if he can continue to develop the rest of his game, I think he's got a very bright future in this league. And he's if he's the one leading the Cavs, I think I think they're going to be a pretty decent team not too far from now. And so, okay, so last Wednesday night, Colin Sexton was the story of the NBA, right? Like he absolutely destroyed the Nets, and it really like he destroyed them over the last like the last quarter in the two overtimes. And um, Justin Rowan from uh, he does the Cavaliers podcast on uh, the Blue Wire Pod Network. He put out a tweet for all the it was one night, folks. Sexton over his last 45 games is averaging 24 points, 3.6 assists, 49.9% from the field, and 446 from three. <laughs> like, he has just been on a tear, and people are just starting to take notice, right? Like, I admittedly was not paying attention to Colin Sexton last year, not very much. And he is just electric. He is so good. And yes, against the Lakers, right? The Lakers shut him down pretty good. The Lakers also have on their roster Dennis Schroeder, who is playing very well on defense whenever we get to the Lakers. Um, Contavious Caldwell-Pope is like now one of like only their five best defenders. They have Marcus Gasol and Anthony Davis. Like that's really hard to score against that team. And yes, Andre Drummond did it pretty well. But the Cavs, Sexton is going to lead them to a bright future. And this is the brightest their future has been in a post-LeBron era. Like, probably this is the brightest their future has been 
God. Because LeBron, yes, obviously bright future. But, I mean, not including the LeBron years, this is probably the brightest the future has looked since they had Kyrie Irving. Like, and you have, like, a lot of good pieces, like, with Jared Allen, with Garland, who Garland... I didn't see him play too much before this year, but Garland's really impressing me. Like he's got good vision. He's a good like, he's got good touch around the rim, good feel. Like he's only twenty, but he's gonna grow into a good player. And then you have Osman and Okoro, who I think both could be very good wings support players. Osman preferably off the bench, but Okoro's up. <laughs> We're gonna have to talk about Okoro. I love Okoro. Um, and then Jared Allen at the four or at the five. I, they're going to get rid of Drummond, like I said earlier, at some point. But Drummond's been playing his ass off, too, for this team. Drummond's been playing really well this year. Like, this is the best Andre Drummond has ever looked in his life to me. He's been playing out of his mind, and I'm so, like, I'm glad for him because I didn't want to rip on him. But he's, like, yes, he, does he still have issues blocking shots and protecting the rim? Yes. But his hands are really active on defense, as always. And it seems like he's jumping passing lanes. He's rebounding really well. You know, solid positional defense. I'm really, let's talk about Andre Drummond. I'm really enjoying the Andre Drummond experience, Dylan. Yeah, I am too. The There's still problems that remain, um, which I'll get to. But he he's basically become their go-to scorer, which I think is kind of funny. Like every possession, they're looking to get him the ball down low. I mean, he is, and, and even again, like he killed the Lakers. I mean, to have have Anthony Davis and Marcus all guarding you all game and to play as well as he did. I mean, he killed them. Like he was part of the reason they were in it till the end. Like he was awesome. And as you mentioned with his stealing, he had like five steals last night. Like his, he's, he's gotten really good at reading passing lanes. And there's a lot of moments where these, they'll try to dump, they'll try to give an entry pass to the guy he's guarding. He just blocks it out of the way. Like he just takes it. He's gotten really good at reading that. Which, as someone that, as you mentioned, is not a great shot blocker for his size, and he's fine. He's not as good as you'd like, but he's fine. Um, but he's he's kind of made up for it with his the rest of his defense. So I'm glad that he he's playing this well. And and the rebounding, you don't even need to talk about. Like we know he's one of the best rebounders in the league. My concern is that he's just there's just no way he should be as inefficient as he is. I mean, let me if, – if I tell you, you have a, a seven-foot guy that is really good rebounder, can really jump. If I told you that he was shooting 52% at the rim, you would think he had like a broken hand or something. Like there's just no way a guy his size should shoot that bad. And I think it was part of his – part of the reason that he got exiled from Detroit was because he was supposed to be their feature player – and they tried to give him the ball in the post to do what he wanted, and he just was not good at converting. He's just a guy that needs – he needs to be Gobert. Like, that's that's how he should be on offense, where he's just catching lobs all game and, and collecting rebounds and putting them up. But they give him the ball to kind of do his own thing a little bit. And if that keeps him happy and you don't waste too many possessions out of it, that's fine. But I think he shot like 8 of 22 last night, which is just crazy for a seven-footer to shoot that poorly. And again, Detroit doesn't have Joel Embiid on the other side. Like he couldn't score on Mason Plumley. You know, it's, it's, he just wastes too many possessions. And, and again, a lot of these misses turn into his own rebound. So it's not like they're complete waste of possession. I mean, he's, he's missing, put getting it up, missing again, and then, and making it. 
So it's not that big of a deal, but I just wish that he would shoot, you know, maybe 10 to 15 shots a game and be a little bit more careful with his possessions because if he was to be a little bit more off um, efficient on offense, then the Cavs would be even better. But even with, even with these nights, I mean, the past two weeks, they're sixth in the league in offense. So whatever they're, whatever they're doing, it's working. And, you know, there's a lot of other pieces too, as you mentioned with the Coro, Damian Dotson, who I feel, I feel, I don't know the word liberated maybe because he was on the Knicks for a while and he was like the only guy I liked watching on the Knicks. And I'm happy that he's gone to another team and, and played an important role because in Garland's absence, he's actually played pretty well. So uh, I'm happy that he's done well. And I guess I won't stray off the page too much in case you want to talk more about Drummond. <laughs> no, Drummond, something I've liked that I've seen from Drummond is that they're giving him the ball at like the, the elbow and they're letting him work, right? Like they're letting him drive to the lane. And yeah, sometimes he, tur- he has a lot of turnovers, right? For a center. But I appreciate the fact that they're letting him work. He has good vision. Like he, yeah. he's not, he's a, a good passer. He's yeah. a, he, he's, he's like not only a good passer for a center, like he's actually a good passer in general. Like I wouldn't mind more of that. Like they're letting him just, you know, kind of cook and yeah, it's going to result in some turnovers and he's only averaging 2.6 assists. But if he stays with the Cavs, I wouldn't surprise be surprised if that number bumps up to four. Like he's, you know, he's driving really well, you know? Yeah. The efficiency is bad. 48% from the field for a center. It's not, it's not great, but give me the guy that, you know, is unafraid to drive into traffic and throw like dish a pass to the three point line. You know, I like, I like what I've been seeing from Drummond and it's crazy. Cause I never liked Drummond. I am one of the staunchest anti Drummond guys. There are like, I thought he was terrible. I thought he sucked. No, he's this system is letting him something. JB Bickerstaff is doing is letting Andre Drummond be better. And they can't keep him. They just, they can't because of Jared Allen. But if, if he goes to like, let's just say, God, what's a logical Andre Drummond destination? Like the Wizards, right? It would behoove the Wizards to let Drummond just, let Drummond have free reign kind of. And it's crazy to say that. <laughs> but he, he's just a good playmaking option at this point. You know, it's funny because during our reaction trade to the Harden trade, when Jared Allen goes to the Cavs, everyone's talking about Andre Drummond, where he should go now. I say the Wizards, and I get shit on. And all of a sudden, now you're on board. So I just (laughs) just, find that interesting. I just – well, it's the only logical destination, Dylan. And let's be real. Don't get me wrong. I do not want to see – Russell Westbrook and Andre Drummond play defense on the same team. I don't want to see that. That would be, but that would be basketball hell. Offensively, there would be some very fun moments, and it would be very fun Let's, to see Westbrook and Drummond fight for rebounds as well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Are Are we sure they couldn't just coexist and meet somewhere in the middle and average twelve rebounds a piece? Are, are we sure? Mm, no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but you're making you know that's. Uh, let's let's talk about Jared Allen because I really like the way he's fit in with the Cavs. And you talked about Jared Allen a lot. You, you spotlighted Jared Allen when we talked about the Nets. And it's looking really good for you because everything you're saying is right. And now the Cavs have 48 minutes of, like, you know, elite center play when 
like a year ago, they had 48 minutes of not elite center play. Like I would say the way that Drummond and Allen are both playing, that's really what you need. And especially in the Eastern Conference, I think if they don't get rid of Drummond and they just are like, here, each of you get 24 minutes a game or, you know, 26 or 22, whatever the distribution is, they're not going to be in a horrible place. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when watching them. I'm like, you know what? Jared Allen definitely needs more minutes, but it wouldn't be the worst thing for them to just bring both of these guys back because, I mean, you know, I would love for Jared Allen to start on a team, but he actually hasn't started most of his career. You know, he's always been behind someone. And it seemed like just before he got traded from the Nets, Steve Nash recognized that he was definitely the best center and he was giving him more time. So, of course, then he gets traded to a team that has another center already. But, you know, I I definitely could see uh, that working out because, I mean, Jared Allen, I just – I've talked about him enough, but he is so good on both ends of the floor. He's so efficient on offense, and his rim protection, he has some of the best shot-blocking instincts out there. And, I mean, he's one of those guys where – whether he blocks the shot or not, he's giving you a tough time on defense, getting the getting the shot up. And, you know, he, he spent a good amount of time guarding Anthony Davis that game against the Lakers, and I thought he did fine. And if you can hold your own against Anthony Davis, then you can do it against anyone. So I definitely think whether he's a starter or not, the Cavs are in, in a great spot at center. They're in a great spot at center, and they're starting to be in a great spot at small forward. And Okoro and Osmond, you know, double O, as I, as I like to just now start calling them. Um, they're really, I think, I think the wing rotation is really great. Okoro, Okoro guarded Harden and LeBron in the same week. Like, think about how crazy that is that you're foisting that assignment upon a rookie. But, I mean, yes, Le- we're, we haven't talked about the game specifically, but LeBron outscored them in the fourth quarter, 21 to 19, because... Apparently, one of Dan Gilbert's guys um, was clapping at him after he missed a shot in the third quarter. I don't know if you saw that video, Dylan, but I don't know why you would do that to LeBron James in this stage of his career. But LeBron just decided, nah, I'm cooking you guys, and he outscored them himself in the fourth quarter. But Okoro, all things considered, for having a size disadvantage, he did a pretty good job on LeBron James. Yeah, I mean... You know, it's funny because I watched that game after you told me that he did a good job and I was kind of waiting, waiting for the great moments to pop out. But I guess I guess that was just LeBron being LeBron. But yeah, I mean, Okoro, Okoro really fits in seamlessly with everything they have going on. Like, even though we're done with them now uh, with our, you know, Cavs week, I'm definitely still going to watch because now that they have Garland back, by the way, they're five and two with Garland and Sexton together. So We've only seen it a small amount, but they've they've played well together. And having a Coro right next to them and Osman, I do think both of those guys are are really nice together. And you know, Osman was a guy that has shown some flashes in the past, but hasn't really I think we were kind of wondering whether he was just, you know, here and there type of guy. He wasn't a guy that's gonna consistently be good. And just the nature of being like a third or fourth option, you know, he's not going to have great nights every night, but I think he's been pretty consistent offensively this year. Like I think one of those nets game, it may have been the second one 
he had like 25, seven and seven. Like those, that's the type of skills that he has. He's a good passer. He's a really smart off ball player. Like he actually may be one of the smartest off ball players in the league. He, uh, he doesn't get much credit, but he, he is a great cutter and he's, and he's really, um, if he can't finish it on, on his own, he's going to find an open guy too. So I really like those two together. And, and Okoro, you know, as a rookie, obviously he's, he hasn't done a ton offensively, but he has shown some flashes. The defensive upside is more of the focus right now. But yeah, I definitely think he can grow into a guy that that's going to be able to match up with some of the better offensive players in the league and and do a nice job. Yeah, and Okoro just has like like again all these cliches. You know, you say them, but they end up being right. Like Okoro just has such a nose for the ball. Like he's really good at diving on the floor for loose balls. He's really good at getting his hands in there and tipping up rebounds. And on a team where they aren't lacking for that, it's a it's an added bonus, frankly. But I just love the way that Okoro plays. He just stands out when you're watching him because he's just so energetic. And I can't wait to see how he ages in the defensive discipline that gets added to his game as he gets older. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, like, whether it's Allen or Drummond, that starting five is exciting. Like, I I really am going to watch them because they they do a little bit of everything. The defense is, is still iffy at the moment, which, again – your best defender is a rookie. So it's hard to, it's hard to build a good defense around that. But offensively, I think there's going to be a ton of, of fun games to watch because they do a little bit of everything. Like I think, I think Sexton and Garland are like the perfect, I was trying to think of a nickname. I'm kind of settling on sweet and sour right now because, because Garland's the guy that he's going to finesse you at the rim. Like he's going to make it look pretty. And Sexton is just the the banger. He's the guy that's going to bang in the paint. He's going to jump side to side real quick and and do it with strength. So I think those two guys are really, really nice together. And they really fit well. Uh, they match each other's strengths and weaknesses pretty well. And then again, Okoro and Osman, I think, are a nice, nice option around the wing. So I'm excited for the Cavs, man. And, and the way that the way the league is now – like they're definitely going to be a top 10 seed and they very well could be even higher than that. So I think they're going to, they're going to have a decent look at the playoffs this year. Yeah. And I keep throwing around Larry Nance's name in trade talks, but I don't know if they're going to trade him. He has been very good for them. Um, Very good. Like, He's just filling up the stat sheets in a lot of ways. He's averaging right now 10 points a game, 2.3 steals, which again is leading the league. Um, Three and a half assists, six rebounds, 1.4 offensive. Like he's doing a little bit of everything out there. He's not blocking shots, but he's never really blocked shots like that. But the versatility that he provides for the Cavs, I think if they don't trade him, he's going to age really nice with this core. Like he's 28, but in the grand scheme of things, he's only been in the league. This is his second contract. Like, he hasn't been in the league that long. I think he's a really nice fit with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and especially if he, they play him more at small forward. You just have a lot of different ways. This is like a really Swiss Army knife of a team. You know, the thing about Nance is I think he's he's better with more responsibility. Like, you don't want him to have too much. But if you go back to his Laker days when they were the baby Lakers and, you know, not very competitive, I think everyone kind of liked what he could do. And that's why the the Cavs traded for him at that time because 
he could do a little bit of everything. Like he wasn't a great shooter, but he, he could hit some. He was due for a um, a good dunk every once in a while. You know, very athletic. And obviously the, the, the defensive stuff, he's very active in passing lanes and all that kind of stuff. Um, when they traded for him, it's just playing playing with LeBron. There was only so much he could do. Like there's there he couldn't get the ball too much, so he didn't really get a ton of shine. But he's this season, especially you've seen it that he he has the perfect amount of responsibility and enough talent around him where he can really shine. So it was unfortunate this week that we didn't get to see him because uh, I think he's hurt or something. I haven't really looked into where he's at, but he didn't play much. And, um, you know, they're going to have to do something at four, probably like Kevin Love is hurt too, you know? So when he comes back, I don't know. I mean, they're probably not going to be able to trade Love. It just doesn't seem like he's a tradable piece in the league anymore. I don't know. But they've been trying to trade him for a while and nothing's happened. So we'll have to see what happens there when both of those guys are healthy and playing. But yeah. As far as Nance goes, he's definitely been fun this year. There's not even a team that's blatantly tanking that I could think that I could just throw Kevin Love on and just make them actively worse. Like, who would want Kevin Love? Like, I heard somebody, there was a Twitter reporter say that Kevin Love was going to get bought out. And I'm like, he has more than one year left on his contract. And I looked it up. He has two and a half years left on his contract. Why would you buy that out? Like, that's like 75 million. Like, I know Dan Gilbert's not afraid to spend money, but that's some of the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Buying him out. Like, if Kevin Love is just like, you know what? I'll take 37 million. That would be the stupidest thing ever. Take all the money. Like, they signed you to that contract. They're going to pay you the full fucking contract. And, you know, he's probably going to retire after the contract is done. Kevin Love just gets hurt way too much. You know, poor guy. Um, yeah. You want a ring at least. But Nance is out with a wrist injury right now. He should be back relatively soon. But they do need to improve the forward position because Torian Prince is doing a good enough job for them. And I think I think Bickerstaff is doing a really good job with this team. I just think in general, like, yeah, Sexton blowing up has done a really good job. But I think the what he's done with Drummond – and what he's doing, you know, giving the big men more freedom to play make. I think that the Cavs are, you know, they should be a top 10 team. Like, there's no reason for them not to be like, and that's ahead of schedule for them. So if they finish in the top 10, I don't think they'll win. They'll get into the playoffs, but I think that they could. I think there's a chance. Yeah. Again, like the way the East has been this year, there's not a lot, not a lot of good things to talk about outside of these top few teams. It's been a lot of, of tragedy, really. I mean, especially with Toronto tanking down to the bottom. Like, there's just not – there's outside of the top few teams, there's just not a lot of good things to talk about. So – and even, like, last season it was a top – it was a six-team conference. And with Toronto falling out, now it's a five-team conference. So, <laughs> there's just – there's not a lot going on, really. And so, it's, it's, it, it's helped the Cavs and the Knicks as well. The Knicks are a playoff team, so – I don't know what the odds were that, uh, but I wish I would have bet on it earlier in the year. But yeah, I mean, and and I, I do want to give Torian Prince some love because I have hate, hated on him a lot. That's he's a, played that's... well, and and to be fair, like the reason he's pull, he's playing so well is because he's hit fifty two percent of his threes since joining the Cavs. So like when he's making shots, he looks good. You know, 
with the nets, he wasn't hitting those shots. So it's like, what, what do you do? That's, that's where I was coming from. And I will say he has done a good job passing with the Cavs. He had four assists against the Lakers. And I was like, wow, four assists. Like I, I didn't think he had it in him to have four assists in a game, but he's, he's fit in well so far. He's actually, he's fit in kind of really nicely with, with uh, what they have going on. And it's, it's kind of surprised me, but um, hopefully he can keep it up. Probably won't be shooting 50% from three much longer, but he's, he's getting good looks and hitting them. He's making some nice passes. So I, I have to give my respect to Torian Prince. Hey, he shot 39% from three two seasons ago, Dylan. I think if he can keep that number up, I think that they have a solid backup for, for them. Yeah. I mean, again, like the shot making is, is, is pretty much everything for him. So he's, he's got to stay, he's got to stay making shots basically. And, and again, like there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff going on there offensively. He's going to get open looks. So, I mean, he was getting open looks with the nets too, and he wasn't hitting them, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something about the culture in Cleveland that we don't know about. That's really getting him juiced up. Yeah, and I think we've touched on just about everything for these three teams. We went really in depth, but we really didn't go. We didn't go that much over. I think we're only three minutes over our typical time. So, way to go, Dylan Hughes. We did a great job this week. You know, we're professional podcasters over here, so we know our time. We we know we know where to go, where not to go, and uh, it's just a testament to our mastery of this medium that that we're able to pull that off. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it any better myself and go check out our other podcast professionals on the running hook podcast network. Got a lot of great stuff coming up for you down the, down the way. Um, I'm going to be back on the circle city cinema this weekend. We're doing every episode of WandaVision on, that's on Disney plus go check that out. If you're a big MCU guy and then Zach will be um, back with a, with a solo episode talking about one of his favorite movies. I'm not allowed to reveal cause Caleb and Bryce have been pestering him. Not allowed to reveal which movie he's talking about. And, but it will be, it'll be exciting. So um, battleground should be back next week. I got to get with those guys, triple option pass. They're going to be covering the college football off season. They're going to be doing a lot of NFL draft stuff. So, you know, that'll be, that'll be good. Um, Lynn sanity, NFL coverage, NFL season's about to wrap up. So I don't know what they're, where they're going to go from here, but Caleb's creative enough where I trust him. Um, real quick, actually, last question I have for you, Dylan, you always talk about the 2018 draft board. Where was Colin Sexton on your 2018 draft board? You know, I looked it up the other day because I was interested. And I believe it was eight. I want to try to talk through me pulling it up because I want to see. I will say there there were some misses. So I, I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to talk about the misses. There were some misses. like So I have DeAndre Ayton at one, which – I don't regret because who could have seen Luca being this good already? Like I, I don't, I don't hate that. I did have Luca too. So that was better than some people. Um, this, this was the bad one. And again, we, it's still, it's going to take time. I don't write people off. I had Mo Bamba at three. Oh God. So that was a really, really bad one, but maybe, you know, the magic, I'm going to blame it on the magic. So that's not my fault. They can't all be hits. Yeah. Uh, Jaron Jackson at four. That's a good one. Pretty solid. Trey Young at five. Um, So I had Miles Bridges at six. And I was going back and forth between Miles and McHale. 
I ultimately went with Miles because he could score on his own. That was where it came down to. And McHale has blossomed into a better scorer, but really a lot of his offensive success is playing with awesome passers and getting wide open threes. So, you know, and it's, it's good that he's filled that role perfectly for them. But I think if Miles Bridges was on Phoenix, he'd probably look better than he has so far. That's so, that's incredibly fair. <laughs> uh, and then Wendell at seven and Colin Sexton was eight. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's pretty fair outside of Mo Bamba. That's not, that's I'm, not terrible. Miles Bridges, I think has a lot of potential and I think it's kind of being not wasted in Charlotte. Cause Charlotte's finally using him in a way that's good, but yeah, I don't hate Miles Bridges at six. Yeah, and I'm scrolling through the rest of this, and so one of my worst mistakes was putting Bagley over McHale. I mean, what a disaster. What a disaster. And and then I have Kevin Knox before Michael Porter Jr., who, again, to be fair, as you might argue, if he's not playing in the league in three years because of injuries, then technically you'd rather have Kevin Knox. So. No, I or, think I'd still maybe, have, my, I'd still rather have Michael Porter Jr. Kevin Porter, Michael Porter Jr.'s bones could fall apart right now, and I'd rather have Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> I mean, I had to try to make some sort of an effort to defend it, but yeah, yeah. Now, as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh, I don't know. You're yeah. like, it didn't, it didn't sound right coming out of your mouth trying to defend that it, particular. It one. sounded great in my brain, and then I'm like, oh man, what is, what is Kevin Knox? But you know. And then, and then the sadness right after, Zaire Smith at 14, who, you know, I thought about this. I said, should I tweet Kevin Pritchard and say, please, sign Zaire Smith and, and save him? Because I still believe in him. The, the, the story is still there, okay? He, he can do it. I just need him to give he – can't, he can't prove himself right or me right if he's unsigned, okay? So – Somebody, please. We you know Rick Carlisle listens to this podcast. Rick, sign him. Save, save, our, save everyone. Save me. Save him. Save yourself. It's yep. it's gonna happen for Zaire Smith. I just need someone to give him a chance. Denver should take a chance on him. There you go. Hey, having him and Hampton, they're kind of the same type of guy, you know. So so one of them's got to work out. <laughs> So, so gives gives Zaire a shot, and we'll see what happens. Um, I think I promoted all the podcasts. Um, go go buy one from one young soul to another. Um, I got nothing for you this week. I'll, I'll come back with something better next week. But I I don't have I don't have negative energy in me today, so I, I can't. That's um, you know I, I respect I respect it. I used it all on the honest rant, so I used up all my negative energy for the day. Um, and go heavy pockets. Um, really, really volatile situation in the stock market. I don't know if you're going to write about it, but Dylan's got I'll great probably. financial, <laughs> great financial insights anyway. And on that note, I think we are going to wrap it up. Dylan Hughes, once again, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.